0: On this week's episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I are thrilled to be joined by Sarah Adamson. Not only does Sarah's family breed beautiful dairy goats under the Marian herd name, Sarah is the first dairy goat nutritionist for a plus and assists goat dairies across the Midwest with their nutrition programs. Join us for an interesting look at some ideas for improving your herd's feeding program.
1: Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting edition of Goat Gab. This is Cameron. And this is Laura. And today we have a special guest, Miss Sarah Adamson from Vita Plus Co-op, right? Co-op?
2: Yeah, I believe it is a cooperative.
1: Yes, Vita Plus Co-op, the first ever dairy goat nutrition specialist for the company. That's correct?
2: Yeah, well, dairy goat specialist is my technical term.
1: Okay. Sarah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, what you do with Vita Plus, your background, your your humble beginnings, as I say.
2: Humble beginnings. Um, so I grew up on a dairy goat farm. Um, we got our first two goats in, uh, I think, like 1993. And we started showing shortly after that. We had a sh- small, like, hobby farm show string. Um, Spent years showing all around, mostly at local um, club shows, state fair. And then I think in like 2009, we attended our first nationals. Um, That was really awesome. We love showing. Um, You guys know my dad, he's a talkative man. Uh, Everybody uh, knows Randy. Yeah, everybody loves Randy. He's a hard yeah. guy not to know. Uh if I can't find him at shows, I literally just like listen for his laugh. And I can only like pin <laughs> on I can
0: find him.
2: <laughs> so so like our herd name is Moran, M-A-R-R-A-N, Moran, Moran, however people want to pronounce it. Um so yeah, my dad used to melt cows and the cows in the 80s and got a hobby farm of goats in two thousand and nine, I believe. Um our neighbor told my dad that he was selling his commercial herd of goats and asked if my dad wanted to buy it. And my dad had also lost his job that year. So he always says it's like the biggest act of God that he's ever seen is that like he lost his job and then his dream to become a dairy farmer again, basically kind of fell on his lap. So in September of 2009, we went from about a 30 head farm to about like a 300 head farm. We were milking about 150, 300 um 2011, we built new facilities at our house, and just last year we expanded. And I think we are sitting at about 240 at peak when we're milking right now. Um, wow! Yeah, it's a lot. So we still have the show herd. We still show, but our show girls are in the same pen as our commercial girls. They don't get treated any differently. Yeah, that is kind of where Moran came from. Um, it's kind of our backstory. I don't really know if I'm missing anything.
0: So I know you have Alpines and I know you have La Manchas, right? So yeah. what other
2: breeds do you guys have? So when it comes to the show string, we have Alpines, La Manchas, and then we show recorded grades. Um, when it comes to the commercial farm, we have some Sonnens. We had a purebred Sonnen buck like four years ago. And we do have some, you know, Alpine Sonnen crosses. So pri- our commercial herd is primarily all Alpines and Sonnens. Um we have La Manchas. My dad keeps the La Manchas to keep my mom happy because happy wife, happy life. So he learned that. Um, so <laughs> that is, that's what our herd kind of consists of.
0: So um, your your commercial herd, uh, the alpines and, and saunas that you have, um, do you are they grade? Do you keep track of you know, like family lines, but don't register them? Or how does that work? I'm I'm just always kind of fascinated by commercial <laughs> herds. So
2: you know, how do we keep them all straight? Mm-hmm. Um, so we do. So I like, obviously our commercial or our, obviously our show does are registered. Um, so we live breed and we AI. Um, in terms of our commercial does, majority of those are just going to be like spread um, in a sense we do DHI tests and everybody. So we do have a fairly good idea who's dam and who's sire um, is of all of our does. So we can look in our DHI record and see who that doe is out of. So we do keep track of them that way, but in regards to having them all registered, we don't. Um, so we have a, about half of our bucks are registered and half of our bucks are just great bucks as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another
0: question about your dairy again because I follow your dad on Facebook.
2: I'm I find sorry. it really
0: <laughs> Oh no 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 I learned so much from him and Um, One of the things that I find just totally fascinating besides the stories that he tells about his crazy milking yearling escapades (laughs) and the huge amount of uh, quads that you guys tend to have every year. um, I love hearing about the does that he milks through, not just like one year, but multiple years. And, and these does stay productive for, three and four years without breeding again. That's just fascinating to me.
2: It, it is. It is a really cool thing that I think we're slowly finding out that goats can do. So if you go across the pond, um, that's very common over um, across the ocean, right? In like Europe and places like that they primarily they'll freshen their does as a yearling and then breed them again as a two-year-old and then that dough will milk through until she decides she's done and then she'll just find a new career so that was something that doc Dummler had always told my dad he's like you should just start milking these does through just milk them through see what happens so the first time you do that it's a little terrifying because they're seasonal right so if she's a 10 12 pound dough at peak she's gonna drop to probably around like six pounds, six to eight pounds in the winter. And that's scary because she's not bred. So you're just hoping she comes back up and they always do. Um, you know, we think that it's a little bit genetic probably, but it is really amazing when we have these does that milk, you know, a thousand, eleven hundred 1100 days. And when you look at their DHI record, you know, they average nine, 10 pounds. They're not phenomenal milkers. They're not pumping out, you know, 16 pounds of milk, but. All they have to do is eat, sleep and make milk for three, four years. And I mean, they're paying for themselves over and over again, just at milking, you know, a constant 10 pounds.
0: And you don't have to worry about all the health associated problems that come with breeding. I mean, there's always that risk when you breed a doe that there's going to be an issue with kidding or metabolism issue or something like that. And I I just, again, I just find it fascinating when I read what your dad says about that. I, I think that is just brilliant.
2: I mean, a hundred percent, Laura. I'm like shaking my head upside up and down. You can't see that. But the most stressful time of a of a doe's life is when she dries off and when she kids, especially when she kids, you have pregnancy toxemia issues. You have the chance of her tearing. You have all of these things that can go wrong. Um, the, you know, the argument is, is that we're not getting the genetics out of our best milkers. It's our best milkers that we milk through. And, you know, I'll quote my dad in this, like, First of all, we're, we're trusting our genetics that we have coming up. We're trusting our yearlings. We're trusting our bucks that they're bringing in good genetics. So we don't need to keep necessarily out of our top producers. Also, we're assuming that that doe has a doe kid. We're assuming that that doe kid lives. We're assuming she's going to milk like her mom. We're assuming that that doe is going to kid, not die, and milk like she milked last year. You know, there's just so many things that you're assuming or hoping to happen when you melt them through, you don't have to worry about all of that. So it just takes so much of the risk, just like you had said, completely out of the equation.
0: Well, I just I just think that's fascinating. Thank you for going off on that tangent and sharing about that a little bit. So
2: Yeah, it's a cool thing. I hope it really picks up in the in the go world. I hope it really kind of takes off.
1: My tangent is about your father's obsession with the taco man, but we can save that for later <laughs> in the episode.
2: I actually uh, stopped him being able to post on our actual like Moran Facebook page for a while because his first post was about the taco man. And I said, no, dad, keep that for your personal page. We <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, had his brakes yanked away for a little bit.
0: <laughs> you know, I think it's good to know that even the top herds in the country um, love the taco man for their uh, culling needs when when need be. So I think it's just fine. Too
1: funny. Yeah. He's a funny guy. I think transitioning here a little bit, how did you get started with VitaPlus and what was your kind of road to that there in your career?
2: Yeah, my road to VitaPlus is always kind of a fun story. Um, So uh, VitaPlus is actually my third kind of fourth job out of college. I was a little bit of a job hopper. Um, I I had kind of had a feeling that I really wanted to do like um, consulting on farms, you know, because there's research out here that's showing com- commercial farmers how to do things right there's no data there's no research it's just a lot of word of mouth and so I would have just loved to be able to just go to farms and help them be better farmers help them you know troubleshoot issues um you know maybe help them be better management help them with husbandry help them with genetics whatever that was It was like man that would be a really really cool job but I knew at the age of 24 that there was no way on God's green earth that anybody was going to hire me as like a private consultant. Um, And so I'd actually met a nutritionist from VitaPlus and she had mentioned that they had some goat customers, but nobody in VitaPlus really knew anything about goat. She's like, you, you should have, you should like talk to somebody in VitaPlus about working for us. Um, And the thing about VitaPlus is they don't necessarily normally like have jobs posted for their nutritionist people. That's very much like, you know, they come to you word of mouth type of thing. Um, so what I did was I went on Vital Blessed's website and I found people who I thought sounded important um, and I sent them an email and it was titled Let's Talk Goats. And I attached my resume and my cover letter and I basically said, hey, you should start a goat division. You should hire me to run this goat division and hire me to do goat nutrition. These are all the reasons why. This is why I think it would be a great idea. You know, it's a booming industry and nobody really does it. Um, you know, this is my credentials in the goat world. I know you're probably going to think I'm nuts, but I think you should really pursue this. And I think I'd be a good hit, like a a good hire. So I ended up emailing like the vice president of the company and like this, like the top sales manager. Right. So they email me back and the guy's like, I kind of think you're nuts, but let's get lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So that was in like, April or May, I believe of 2017. And um, I kind of, I met him for lunch. And I didn't hear from him for months. I was like, Oh, wow. I mean, I thought that'd be really cool. But apparently, it's like four months later, and I haven't heard a darn thing. Um, I ended up losing the job I was at. And I was like, Alright, well, now I'm really kind of screwed, quite frankly. And then also, they're like, Hey, we want you to come in, we're gonna make like a business plan. Um, let's figure this out. So I went in and it was in November of 17 and we made a business plan and we figured out how much feed I'd have to sell and how many farms would have to, to, to get a customer like the first year and how big these farms would have to be. And, and then they officially offered me the job in December and I started January of 2018. And it was literally because I was like, you know what, I'm just going to send them an email and say that they should hire me because nobody does goat nutrition. There's, you know, there's one or two companies out there that, that do it. But very few of them have just one person that specializes in goat nutrition, you know, goat husbandry. Um, and I was like, you know what? We're going to do this. Like, that's how I started. It was just a leap of faith and hoping that they were going to think that I wasn't absolutely crazy <laughs> off my rocker.
1: I love that story. I
2: think that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. To Go me, ahead, Cameron. It shows that you are incredibly perseverant. You're passionate about what you do, um, and to me, if I'm a listener to this podcast, I'm like, why? Do, why don't I call her? Because obviously, she's very, she should be very knowledgeable about what she's doing in the industry. So, so thank you for sharing that. I didn't even know that story, and I feel like we're fairly decent friends that talk three times a year.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we talk, it's like really good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if people like really ask why, like how I got this position. It's not like, oh, how did you get? I mean, because most people think. We're looking for somebody but instead I was like you know what what are they gonna do say no okay I'm not in any less of a position if they say no than I am if they say yes um you know and like did I ever think that growing up like my career being goats no my first career at college was obviously I managed, you know, um, a 6,500 head dairy goat farm and I liked it, but I never thought that like my lifelong career would be in dairy goats because if you think of all the careers out there, none of them are really in the dairy goat industry unless you're a dairy goat farmer. So I never thought that that would be an option for me, but I just get to travel the Midwest and talk to people about goats and it's like the coolest job in the world.
0: <laughs> so where is your, where is your territory, Sarah?
2: Yeah, so I literally go all over the Midwest. Um, So because I'm the only person in Vita Plus that specializes in goats, um, I will go to um, Wisconsin, obviously, Minnesota, Ohio, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan. Um, You know, like I just had someone call me from South Dakota the other day. If I didn't say Minnesota, Minnesota. So kind of anywhere that Vita Plus touches, which is primarily the Midwest. I will go. Um, I may not be like the lead nutritionist on all of those farms. They may have more of like a local person that's their lead nutritionist that will come and like pull hay samples. You know, if we need to like do a fecal starch, I might have someone in that area that's kind of their like more hands on nutritionist, but I'll be I will go either monthly or bi monthly, or maybe even like every three months to those farms and just be a little bit more of like a specialized person, if that makes sense.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. That's, that's awesome. Talk to me about your typical customer. How many goats are they milking? You know, what's, what, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So I think the smallest farm that I really work with milks about 80 head, I would say primarily the farms that I work with on average are probably around that 200, 250. Um, You know, they're definitely commercial producers. Uh, It's not that I don't, you know, have feed go to small hobby farms the normally ones that I like put a couple bags in the back of my car and drop them off for the farmer. Um but typically my producers and my customers are going to be that like two two fifty.
1: Yeah. And you're not making like rations or anything or like bagged feeds for small hobby producers really focused on the larger groups that would buy big bulk orders.
2: Yeah. And it's not that we wouldn't, but I mean, in the feed industry to a point, it's, we don't floor sack a lot of goat products. So let's say Cameron, like you guys like, Hey, I want to get Vita Plus products. How do I do that? Nine times out of 10, you're going to have like a two ton minimum feed order. So if you can take two ton of it, great. I will make anybody a mix. You know, I'll do nutrition work for anybody. It's just like, can you take two ton of it and keep that feed good? So if you only have 10 animals, that two ton is going to last you you know, far too long to keep that feed of good quality type of thing. So it's not that I wouldn't, it's more just, does it work for us? Because yeah, of like economical. The, right. Yeah. But maybe if a whole bunch of
0: producers in Illinois, Cameron, or, you know, you might <laughs> even pull in some Missouri friends. Yeah. If, if we all went in together and had similar needs, maybe that could be something that could work out.
2: Yeah, we have dealer partners kind of everywhere, you know, and some of our dealer partners do floor stock, you know, like the milk place or the mineral, or maybe just like standard goat mix. Um, you know, the most, almost all of, not even almost all of my customers have a custom ration, you know, that goes off of their forage, goes off of some of the issues you might be seeing on farm. Um, but, you know, some of our smaller dealer partners do just kind of floor stock a more like generic You know, like, here's our generic goat
1: feed. Here you go. Like something you could buy at a tractor supply. Looks like a 16% sweet feed or something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Something pretty similar to that. It's going to be kind of similar to that. So in addition to feed, in addition
0: to feed, Sarah, what other products um, does Vita Plus make?
2: In the goat world or just in general? Um, Both. How about both? I'm about. I mean, so VitaPlus deals with you know, what do we do we specialize in swine, beef, dairy, and then obviously now goat nutrition. Um, so we make feed, and then you know, trace minerals like a mineral pack, like a free choice mineral, and then also milk replacer, colostrum replacer. Um, we have like some electrolyte products that we've created. Um, that is pretty much about it. VitaPlus also like deals some inoculant. It's not a product that VitaPlus made. Um, but we do also deal inoculant.
1: Interesting. What is inoculant?
2: It it goes on like um, haylage, corn silage, on like silage feeds. It keeps gotcha. it good. Gotcha. I'm not listen inoculant, so I think I'm correct in that. Please double check before you put that in the podcast. So I don't sound like an idiot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right because it's an inoculant that keeps the good bacteria going. And hopefully helps combat the bad bacteria, right?
2: Right. Yeah. It's supposed to help the good bacteria grow, but stop the bad bacteria. And then it can help with like mold and things like that. So just keep silage feed in good quality, especially during like summer months when it heats really fast.
0: Very cool. My husband feeds silage to his cattle. So I know a little bit about it. Okay. Okay. So very neat.
1: I'll I'll go ahead here. Um, how do you handle transport of feed? Is it bagged? Is it like in a giant feed truck where you're delivering to bins? Like, what is your primary method of transportation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I mean that is that kind of depends right on what people are wanting. So we do both. Um, we do both bagged and we do bulk. So that just totally depends on the customer and kind of what they're looking for. I don't really know if that helps We yeah. have a transportation fleet that's based out of Madison and Loyal and then also Gagetown, Michigan, or so transportation fleet based out of Madison, Wisconsin, Loyal, Wisconsin, and then also Gagetown, Michigan. Um, and then I also believe that we have some like, kind of like private people that check for us. Um, but then everybody's like approved by the safe foods, safe feed, safe food certificate certification certification there we go um so it just depends we have like a bag route that goes around and then we have bulk trucks that go around we have semis we have quads um you know there's times that I'll throw a couple bags in the back of my car if someone needs a couple bags to get them through so totally depends that helps at all
0: okay so Sarah let's say that I had a large commercial herd and um, I hired you. Tell me, kind of walk me through the whole process of what you would do to help me come up with an outstanding nutritional plan for my dairy goat herd.
2: Well, first of all, Laura, I think you should just get a big commercial herd. Um.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, depending on the day with my with my paying job, I think I think um, that would be fun. It would be. I'd have to convince my husband that milking is fun, though. So.
2: Happy life, happy, happy wife, happy life.
0: Well, I'll remind him of that.
2: (laughs) So when I, when I get new customers, um, you know, very rarely do I go out there the first time, second time, third time. I mean, it all depends, but in self-feed. So a lot of the time it's just like, let me get to know you. Let me get to know your operation. Let me get to know what are some things we're struggling with? What are some things you're doing really well at? Um, what have you done in the past that's worked and hasn't worked? Um, Those are all things that, you know, I'm not going to go in there and shoot from the hip and be like, oh, well, this works for your neighbor's farm. So this is going to work for your farm. Um, And to me, a lot of what I do, 75% of what I talk about on farm is not nutrition based. It is, it's husbandry based, it's management based. It's, you know, for example, you know, this time of year, it's a lot of like, delousing, reminding people that those are still an issue. We need to talk about, you know, finding out how like setting up a good schedule to get their hooves trimmed. Um, you know, so a lot of it's not nutrition based. So when I get new customers, it's important that they realize that I'm not just here to sell you feed. I'm not just here to be like, Oh, well you should feed this. See you in two months, you know, hope it's going well. So when I try to build that relationship with you, I'm going to try to, kind of gets to know you get to know your operation um when it actually does come down to building you a diet i'm going to first and foremost take a sample of your forage because that's going to be half if not 60 percent, of their diet so i want to be making sure that i know what the quality of that is because that's going to dictate quite a bit on what your feed ration looks like um you know and then i'm going to sit down with you and we're going to talk about what you want your feed ration to look like everybody it's so it's so funny when people you typically feed goats? Like in the cow world, what do you typically feed cows? Well, you feed them a TMR. That's it. Like that's pretty much what you feed 95% of cow herds, dairy cow herds. In the goat world, I'm like, you know what? What do you want it to look like? Because I have some people that feed a meal feed. I have some people that feed a text rice feed. I have some people that feed a complete pellet. I mean, I have some people that are feed a TMR. So it's so different. So then I'd find out what you want your ration to look like, you know, what do you, what is, what do you want to be feeding them? And then I kind of work with you through that. If that makes sense.
0: It makes lots of sense. And honestly, Sarah, I did not know that goats would eat TMR. I don't know why I thought they wouldn't, but I didn't know they it, would.
2: Yeah. There's not too many farms that do it. Um, the ones that are really successful at it either have a cow dairy, a, with their goat so then they can feed the cows first and then feed the goats making sure that they're getting that really fresh silage so one of the main issues you're going to run into if you feed a tmr is keeping up with the face because goats just don't eat enough or it's going to be a really really large dairy with over a thousand head and then they're going to be feeding a tmr they're rare you know there's not a lot out there but there definitely are farms that do it and they do it well
1: wow and what's a what's a tmr for reference for the listeners
2: total mixed ration so that's going to be their is going to be in there. So most, most TMRs are going to be like haylage, corn silage, some sort of like either a powdered VTM, which is a um, vitamin trace mineral, or like a pellet with all your vitamins and minerals in it. Um, and it's like a protein powder or protein pellet, all kind of mixed together. And then it's pretty wet. So they add either molasses or water or both. Awesome.
0: Like a
2: salad. It's best to explain it. It's a salad.
1: Awesome.
0: So... to me the idea that would be cool about a tmr is hopefully you wouldn't have quite the waste that you have with goats and hay um but maybe you would maybe goats would sift through that and pick through it just like um i have some goats that are pretty dang amazing at picking all the corn out of a texturized feed and spitting out the pellets at the other side like simultaneously
2: it's amazing yeah goats are really awesome like that aren't they Lovely. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> they they do waste in a TMR. The problem with the TMR is either the pellet absorbs water and breaks apart and then it's fines. Um, or you have like a, a VTM, which is already like a powder. Um, and then goats eat with their lips and not their tongue. So cows will just like lick that up with their tongue. But because goats can eat with their lips, they tend to just eat like the bigger particle things. So it can be sometimes hard to get them to eat the protein and vitamins and minerals, which is what we want them to be eating. Um, there's also some gut health issues that I think can come into play with a um, a TMR, but that's a totally different topic.
1: Cool. Yeah. Um, thinking about, it, I was listening to another podcast here, focused on the show industry and whatnot, and it talks a lot about supplements. Are there any goat supplements out there that can be you know used for increasing milk production or or whatnot? there for for dairy goat users
2: yeah i think the biggest i don't even know if i would call it a supplement but something that i think people don't think enough about is their quality of forage um again that's going to be 50 to 60 percent of their diet and you need to be if you really want to push these does you have to be making sure you can be feeding all the good supplements you can be feeding the best grain on the like on the market but if 50 to 60% of their diet is crap because it's not a high quality forage. You're not going to get production out of them. Um, You know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of farms that don't feed a lot of supplements and get a lot of milk because they feed a really good quality forage.
1: Gotcha. No, that was my kind of comment as I was talking to some people from Florida is they have really, you know, poor, not lesser than less than quality. hay there, um, in their discussions there. And I was talking to Laura yesterday and I made the comment that, um you know with really 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 good hay you can make up for some of the nutritional you mistakes you may make as a producer um because you know the hay just is is 50 to 60% of your your um intake.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah. then my question was if you're like so many dairy goat people that do have a hobby herd and they're at the mercy of whatever hay they can find at the sale barn or their local producers and Maybe it's not consistent in quality, and maybe this time they've got fourth cutting alfalfa, but then that runs out and they're stuck buying um, a first first cutting alfalfa fescue or something like that. Can um, the nutrition be made up for through supplements and grain when you have problems finding great forage?
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You can feed things, you know, like soy hull pellets are a good forage replacer. Um, corn gluten pellets can be a pretty good forage replacer. Um, things like cotton, seed, cotton seeds, like fuzzy cotton seeds. Um, people will feed beet pulp, oats. All of those things can be decent forage replacers. They can be really expensive. And now you're adding, you know, a, you know, a lot of different things in your mix, and giving your girls more opportunity to sort through things, which we don't like either. That's why I don't like to have too many things in a mix because then they can really sort through, like your point, Laura, where your goats eat corn and fish spit out the pellet. But there are definitely things that you can add into a diet that will bring forage and kind of replace that lower quality hay. Very what about
1: of- what about chaff hay? And I know that that's popular in some places, in some areas here for the small hobby producer what are your thoughts on that there
2: isn't that really expensive I
1: mean, yeah. yeah yeah it's it's generally pretty expensive
0: you know we fed we fed it for a little while and and um i like to use it like to really get a bloom on or if i have an animal that's kind of picking picky they'll tend to like it it smells really good you know it's nice and moist and stuff um On the one hand, I really appreciate the fact that there's no waste with it. I mean, my goats wasted nothing. So I often wondered if I could sit back and try to do the math and figure out, is it really that expensive when I look at how much hay my goats waste otherwise? But yeah, Sarah, it is expensive. It's really pricey. And it's hard. You have to buy a whole bunch of it unless you have somebody else who's going to be a dealer and you could buy it from them.
2: Now, Laura, why do you think there's not any waste because isn't that pretty finely chopped um not real
0: fine i mean probably two or three inch pieces but it's real molassesy and moist and my goats just did not waste it i mean they they would almost lick the pans clean when i fed it to them
2: my only kind of concern about eating too much jaff hay is is there enough fiber like are you getting enough roughage in that. Um,
0: right. Like, you know, and, and I'm not something. sure that there is. I'm not sure that there is, Sarah.
2: Yeah. So would you have to feed something along with that, like some grass hay or something that just kind of like slows the rate of passage down, right? Because goats are, they're not, bro- or they're not grazers or browsers. They like that, like thicker lignin feed. So my, like, I would just think, and I don't have a lot of experience with chaff hay, Cameron, so I can't answer this great, but I would just think that you would have to feed something along with that to just try to like keep their rate of passage down and give them like some of that room and mat that you get from like that longer stemmed, more lignin based forages.
1: Gotcha.
2: People who feed really high quality baleage will often you know feed some kind of grass grassy hay with it just to try to like kind of calm down, calm it down you know calm down that rocket fuel like my father yeah uh,
1: unfortunately we all can't <laughs> get rocket fuel like Randy can
2: yeah. what a blessing yeah. he has <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i think it's really cool i love i i live i i probably could live vicariously through your dad or through Craig Copeman, because because I yeah. think, oh my gosh, that's got to be the life. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's not all sunshine and roses, but they sure do paint a fun picture of of life most of the time. So, that's Laura, be you can right.
2: come, you can come milk with my dad one day if you want. Like, I oh, would when- love to do that. <laughs> all the yearlings are fresh. You be my guest to come. <laughs> with you know, be no roses. I promise.
1: Sarah, I've, I've been to your farm before, and I will say, and I've slept on your couch as well. <laughs> That's another story there. True, you
2: have. But,
1: <laughs> I've been to your farm, and I will say, for the, the commercial dairy aspect, the goats that your father and mother, when she, when she chimes in and, and helps, is, is uh, very impressive because you guys do manage a lot of goats. They're an incredibly good quality um, when it comes to body condition, and again, are, are churning out uh, high milk numbers as well there.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say, um, I'm biased, right. But I would probably echo that point, but I mean, again, that goes back to really high quality forage. Um, and he spends, you know, he buys a high quality grain. You can't expect them to perform and keep a good body weight. If you're not spending the money to get them the nutrition that they need in a sense, you know, I mean, there's other parts that go into that, right. Like genetics and management, so I can't
1: take all the credit. <laughs> well, I, I would say to, you know, part of management is nutrition there. And it's, it's a big, it's a big part of it there. Your genetics can only take you so far and it's, and it's that genotype, you know, phenotype debate there. And then we're not going to get into that. But my question is, is there anything exciting coming down the pipeline from VitaPlus or anything in terms of like new nutritional things or anything there?
2: Sadly, not really. Um, Not too much. I wish I had a better answer for that, but no. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I think just the fact that there's companies that are really starting to now focus on goat nutrition is exciting in itself. So I think we're still kind of basking.
0: Gotcha. I would agree with that. Hopefully gone are the days where we have to try to make... Um cattle feed or horse feed work just as well for goats, so I think that's yeah pretty, pretty awesome and of itself
1: i w- I would agree as well, and you know i feel i feel very fortunate from my nutritional perspective when it comes to my goats as we had um someone from you know uh adm come in back when they had bag feed um and go and develop a uh a, a what's that called a oh, i don't know why I can think of it now um Oh, crap. A custom mix? A custom mix, yes. That's what it is. A custom mix here for us there and come on. But unfortunately, in in other areas of the country, when I, again, I I migrate back to the southeast and the Carolinas there, is they don't have the same agricultural system that's been put in place like here in the Midwest, in Missouri, in Wisconsin, where you have a co-op in every four towns and some of them might do bag feed and mixed feed and whatnot there.
2: Yeah, I kind of want to touch on that if you're yeah. okay with it for a second. Absolutely,
1: when we absolutely.
2: About, when you talk about trying to, to make, like, dairy cow feed and horse feed and sheep feed work for goats, first of all, try not to ever use a sheep feed goats because sheep are copper they have such a high copper toxicity so if you feed a sheep feed not only is there no copper in that feed there's also a copper binder so whatever copper you are giving them that feeds binding it up so you're really going to bring in a copper deficiency in your herd if you're feeding even if it's like a sheep and goat milk replacer sheep and goat feed it doesn't work you can't feed the same feed to one animal that needs something when the other animal is toxic to it um and even in the same aspect of, you know, feeding a dairy cow feed, in order for those animals, and I run into this quite a bit, like, oh, well, I'm feeding a, let's take milk replacer, for for instance, I'm feeding a calf milk replacer. Well, in order for that kid to get everything that's on that tag, they have to be drinking as much as that calf drinks, because that feed or that milk replacer is fortified for a calf. So they have to be drinking, you know, six quarts of milk replacer a day, which just isn't going to happen. So you're not giving them everything that tag says. It's the same thing for grain. If that grain is fortified for a cow or a calf, those cows and calves are eating a heck of a lot more than your kids and your does are. And so if you're feeding them something that's, you know, fortified for a much higher feeding rate, you're shorting them a lot of things by not feeding them something that's fortified for a, you know, a pound and a half to three pound feeding rate, if that makes sense. It's really something to take into consideration when you're feeding them feed that's not species specific. That makes lots of sense.
1: Yeah. That's something I never thought of.
2: I don't think so- I ever thought of it either. I mean, I, I think it's the biggest threat to me is milk replacer. Um, but it definitely kind of goes across the board. I mean, all those feeds are fortified, you know, for a feeding rate. So just something to really, really think about.
1: Oh, do you ever have, and this is a question that just came to my mind here, have, problems with producer or producers that want to use non-medicated feed versus medicated feed. And what are your experiences with that?
2: Um, You know, not too often. I have only had like one person and it's not even a commercial farm want to feed non-medicated feed. Um, and first of all, that can only be in kids, right? So we can't feed her in a lactating animal. Yep. So that's never an option, but kid wise, I've had one and they're, they were, they're a show herd and, you know, they had some concerns about the animals becoming resistant to things like rumensin. Um, I've never seen that on farm. I think a show herd can probably, you know, as much as I hate to say it, they can probably manage their kids a lot better to control coccidia and such things um, than like a commercial herd where there's, you know, two, three hundred kids. I like medicated feed. Um In regards to like coxidia stats. Now, if you talk about like NT, I don't even know what NT stands for. See if I can find it. Um, that is like it's almost like an antibiotic that you can add to milk replacers and things. Um, I'm not sure it's legal in the goat world. I'm actually pretty sure it's not, but my opinion about something like that is all you're doing is masking a problem you should just figure out what the problem is and stop trying kind put a bandaid over it. If that makes sense. Um,
0: no, I think that makes lots of sense. And that actually was leading me kind of to what I was thinking about, you know, most people are having a lot of kids on the ground right now. What's some advice that you could give them to get um, kids started off right on the right nutritional foot?
2: Um, Cholesterol. Obviously, you know, in the first six hours, if they don't want a nurse, tube them is the main thing. And if you aren't feeding a colostrum replacer, you know, if you are feeding Dan's colostrum and you have never tested to find out how good a quality it is, I would recommend doing that. You know, not every dose and I have great quality colostrum. And that's the nice thing about a colostrum replacer is that it, it's, it's consistent, it's good quality, you know, it's good quality. Um, But making sure that they get that colostrum replacer right away. Um, I know it's not ideal, but like trying to pull those kids right away as well, because if they're in the pen and they're born and they get manure in their mouth, the very first thing that's now going into their digestive tract is manure. That's setting up their rumen, their digestive tract with some really nasty bugs right off the bat. So just making sure that, you know, your maternity pen is clean. If you can pull those kids right away, pull those kids right away. And make sure that you are getting them some really high quality colostrum within those first six hours is really key to setting them up for success.
1: And and just re- maybe just a reminder to myself and and maybe a, some listeners out there that's colostrum replacer, not supplement. Correct. <laughs>
2: Right. Yeah. So very different thing. So classroom replacer, you just mix that with water and you're good to go. Colostrum supplement, you actually would add that to damped colostrum. So that's a good thing to touch on Cameron is that's a product that you could get and then add to the dams colostrum and you'd probably get a higher quality product. But if you're just going to go get colostrum replacer, make sure it says replacer and that supplement.
1: Catherine will be very happy that we talked about this.
2: <laughs> you're welcome, Catherine.
0: so um i have always kind of been under the the teaching that one of the most vulnerable times in in a growing um goat's life is that time when you're weaning them um do you do you think that that is true and what kind of recommendations would you give about weaning
2: so something to really take into consideration when you're weeding them is when goats are drinking milk, they are a monogastric. They just have one stomach. They're just utilizing one stomach. And it isn't until the, they start eating grain, drinking water, and eating hay that they become a ruminant, right? Because when they're drinking milk, that's going straight into their abomasum. When they actually start eating grain and hay and water, that's going into their rumen. Um, so if those animals don't have a really high functioning rumen, when you wean them, they're not able to transition really well. So those, it is, so it can be very stressful, especially if, you know, they're not eating enough hay and grain and drinking enough water to really get that rumen developed and rumen going. Um, you know, so Sometimes weaning them just off of age isn't always the best idea. It's making sure that they're consuming enough feed outside of milk.
0: So now, offer I, them grain and hay at an early as early as you can get them eating it, so that they are developing that rumen along with the support that they get from their milk.
2: Yeah, I'm like cringing a little bit at that because it's such a controversy on when you introduce hay. Um, you'll hear that argument all day. On when to introduce hay? Do you introduce it right away? Do you wait until they're weaned? If I don't feed them hay, they eat their straw. So should I feed them hay? Um, on the grain aspect, yes. And they're actually probably going to get more energy from the grain than they are from their milk replacer. Um, so, in my opinion, I'd rather have them eating grain than milk replacer. Um, okay. And it's again, and it's you know they're creating more body heat. When they drink, when they're eating hay, because it's me, you know, they're. I don't really know how to explain it, but um, you know, the ruin is working, so they're making body heat that can you know keep them warm. So we offer grain on our farm at like a week and a half to two weeks. They get just like little sprinkles of grain down, um, depending on who's feeding them. Between my father, me, and my mother, is one depends on how or how much or when they get hay. But we'll throw them like a handful of grain at about, you know, six, six weeks. Um, and then we wean them at about eight weeks. So they do get about two weeks of hay before we wean them. But we want to cool. really eating all of that before we take that milk away. Because if that's, if that rumen isn't developed, they're just going to go downhill.
1: So when, know. yeah. So do you give a CD&T before you introduce grain?
2: Do as I say not as I do. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: we can cut this out.
2: Yeah. I mean, really, we did this year. We gave C D and T for the first time, but prior to this we don't normally give C D and T. We just give it Force Three. All
1: right, let's cut this part out, Laura. Yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's fine.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do it like that.
1: I always, okay. I do have another question though. Catherine has, this is uh, next question. Here's from Catherine. Uh, she's texting me right now avoiding studying. And she says, get her to talk about minerals, her being Sarah, one of the most important parts of nutrition that is highly overlooked because it plays a role in everything. So talk about minerals for Catherine.
2: Hey, Catherine. What's up girl? Um, I hope body planning is going well, um, <laughs> I don't really. I mean, I don't know exactly what to talk about when it comes to mineral. Um, Which ones? Which ones?
1: Which ones do you think that we should feed? Which ones do you think you don't see enough of being fed? Just talk about them in a general sense.
2: So, I think a big mineral that needs to be probably taken into consideration a little bit more is selenium as a feed company limited on how much selenium we can legally put in your feed if we put too much selenium in your feed we will get yelled at so i often recommend for my farmers to have like a selenium salt blackout um primarily in their you know both sea shots can be really important in your dry dough Um, it's also really important to take into consideration how much of your mineral in your feed is organic versus inorganic Um, that's a really big thing because that's going to dictate how readily available those minerals are. So just because tags might look the same, if there's a fairly big price difference between those feeds, it's probably because some of the vitamins and minerals in one are organic versus inorganic. Um, kind of a different segue there, but something to take into consideration. So selenium is a big one because we're limited on how much we can put in. Um, you know, people ask me, should I free choice mineral? Well, you know, and I always say, yes, you should. Well, should my grain be fortified enough with minerals. Yes, you would think it is supposed to be that way. However, your mineral profile and your nutrition can change from hay bale to hay bale, much less if you get hay from your neighbor and then you get hay from the guy across town. You know, the mineral composition or the mineral profile of that hay is going to be very different. So free egg like mineral and, pri- you know, primarily a high-quality mineral is going to help kind of fill those gaps that are, that are going to pop up. One you're changing forages as well, that's something to take into consideration.
0: That's I really, feel. that's really good to know. So are there some parts of the country that selenium is more of an issue than other parts of the country?
2: Yes. I don't know off the top of my head. I know that there are places in Wisconsin that are selenium deficient. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're seeing weak kids that are born, things like that, that are, that are no That's normally a selenium deficiency. Um, I don't, you know, I've also heard that, um, you know, sometimes if they have a, if they're, they have a higher intake in selenium, they can fight off worms better. Um, you know, there's a lot of advantages to higher selenium, but again, we're limited to how much we can legally put in your feed and, and so it's not necessarily enough to hit a guilt requirement, but legally I can't do anything about that. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's interesting. So you had Mm -hmm. mentioned copper, you had mentioned copper earlier, and it's very popular for goat people to give copper boluses to their, to their goats. Um, Is that something that you feel is an important part of um, raising goats or can they get their copper needs um, through, through a good quality trace mineral or a good quality feed mixture, or um, you want to touch on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you definitely can hit your copper needs if you are feeding a, a good mineral and or a good nutrition. Um, I think that varies from farm to farm. Again, if you are potentially feeding a feed with a lot of, you know, inorganic minerals, if you're feeding a feed that's maybe fortified for cows or calves and not goats, you're probably not going to be getting as much copper as you should be. On our farm, we don't ever Give copper boluses or any sort of additional copper besides our free choice mineral and we don't see any copper deficiencies but i know that that is not the same for every farm
0: good to know
1: yeah a lot a lot of good information there um that i will take a hot minute to digest <laughs> um, i think <laughs> you looking you do really smart yeah, I'm taking notes, <laughs> and I'm processing it, and then I'm telling Catherine, and she's like, I know all this stuff already, so why are you telling yeah,
2: me? She's like, I've been trying to tell you these things forever, Cameron.
1: Exactly. So let's talk about some specific considerations here before we wrap up yours. What, like, specific considerations when you're talking about a proper buck feed do you need to think about?
2: Um, You know, a main thing that we try to always make sure that we're have a, in a buck feed is, like, ammonium chloride. Um. So we obviously don't want those urinary calculi. So especially if you're feeding like a high quality alfalfa, um, alfalfa feed, that's going to increase your chances of urinary calculi. So that's why something that will bring what we call a decad in the diet down. Um, that's a, a big thing to take into consideration when you're feeding bucks.
1: Perfect. What mean? about yeah. What about per, like uh, older animals, maybe does that, um, you know, maybe they're still milking, but just, you know, or on their last leg or on their last, you know, last time in the parlor or something like that. Older does.
2: I mean, I'm, that's great that's right? because like in what I do, if, you know, most of those does aren't going to get treated differently. It's yep. kind of like make it or break it kind of deal. There's a lot of products out there. I recommend people either like they can tap dress with beet pulp. Or they can top dress with a product, like a rice brand product, which you'll find in a lot of like geriatric horse feeds. It's just a really high fat um, product. You could even buy liquid fat. We've done that for our show kids. We'll buy like a cherry flavored liquid fat and we'll mix it like on their food and it smells delicious. They really love it and it helps them grow. So those are all like things that you can just top dress. You probably wouldn't want to add all of that to your normal ration because then you're going to run into the chance of making your other doughs too fat. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, don't we see that
0: a lot? Fat goats. Yeah. Yes. Are there any special considerations, Sarah, for the dry season? You know, when, when maybe an animal isn't milking some nutritional things you want to keep in mind?
2: Yeah, dry season's like my my not guilty pleasure, um, but it's developing into a true passion of mine, the more I'm in this in this industry. Um, the dry period, you know, primarily I'm talking about commercial herds, right? That it's not like, you know, all oh, the last show is done, now it's gonna be dry for six months type of thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, but for those people who do do that, we need to make, take into consideration that we're not making these does too fat. We don't want to have a lot of internal fat. When they have a lot of internal fat, what happens is when they get bred in that last like month of their dry period, especially if they're carrying multiples, their whole abdomen gets filled up with baby, right? So we have baby and now we have all this internal fat and we have no room for them to actually eat anything because there's no room for their rumen to go anywhere, so what happens is they start mobilizing their fat for energy because they physically cannot eat enough to hit their energy requirements, which are now their own energy requirements, their maintenance energy requirements. They now have requirements to start making colostrum in those last six weeks of dry period. And they also now have an require energy requirement to grow those kids. They just can't eat enough always to do that, especially if they have a lot of internal fat start mobilizing their internal fat for energy that's when you get milk or not milk fever that's when you get pregnancy taxemia um and if you've ever dealt with pregnancy taxemia you know that it can take a dough down faster than you can shake a stick and it is impossible to get them out of it unless you get those kids out um, so that's a, a kind of a main concern on if you're giving those, those girls that really really long dry period that they're just going to get really fat So things that you want to take into consideration during your dry period is um, your forage. We need it to be high in protein. In the cow world, you can really knock down protein. I still feed fairly high protein to dry dose. Um, You want to look at the potassium because that's going to drive their decad back up. We almost want to make their whole body acidic in a sense. Um, And then maybe even feeding a feed that is fortified for a lower feeding rate. So ideally you want to feed one that's fortified for like a pound pound and a half feeding, rate. So they're going to get all of, going back to the whole fortification argument, we're going to get all of those vitamins and all of those minerals in only a pound and a half of feed instead of having to feed them three, four pounds of that lactating mix to get all those vitamins and minerals.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
2: Yeah. This isn't like dry, especially in a commercial herd. Um, These girls are not just on vacation. They, I know they're not making you money at this time, right? But you're setting them up for success of their next lactation and you can't just kind of kick them in the back and be like, all right, see you later. Have fun. Hit me up when you have a baby. Um, there's a lot of things to be taken into consideration during that dry period, in my opinion.
1: Oh, I love it. I appreciate yeah, that I- insight.
0: I think even, even for us hobbyist people who have a longer dry period than just the 60 days that, you know, most, most commercial dairies would have, um, that is just, that is just take it to the bank advice that, thank you. That, that gives me a lot to think about.
2: (laughs) I've always been told you don't want to make them lose weight or gain weight during their dry period. If they're fat, keep them fat. If they're thin, keep them thin. Ideally they're not. Um, we definitely don't really, we don't want them losing weight because we don't want them mobilizing that fat. That's for sure.
1: I think this conversation could probably go on for hours and hours and hours, (laughs) um, because there are so much nuggets of wisdom to pull out, not just, just in this episode, but you know, we could continue and maybe we have a part two or a part three or something like that, or, or something down the road. But I think, Let's table it for here and maybe pick it back up. But Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and being our guest. This has been insightful.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I was so honored when uh, Cameron called and asked me to be in your podcast.
1: Well, we are
0: thrilled, thrilled to have you, Sarah, and um, tell us how if if some of our listeners want to get hold of you, tell us how, what's the best way that they can get hold of you.
2: Um, I am honestly all about Facebook Messenger. <laughs> it's one of the easiest ways that people can get a hold of me. Um, and or you can email me. It's Adamson. so s a d a m s o n at vita Or if you go actually onto Vitaplus.com, you can send me an email through the website as well. Um, but again, all about Facebook Messenger.
1: Is is that email a little changing potentially with um, in the future, in the future months?
2: Yeah, I don't know, Cameron. I haven't decided what I'm doing with my last name yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there no, something I mean, you wanna share? Well, I'm engaged and I'm getting married. Well, very- congratulations. Thank you, sucker. You got suckered into being a part-time goat farmer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's really good at holding them while I like draw blood and pull kids and things, so it's fine. That's
0: all you need—a a willing wow. helper. That's all you need. Sarah, bless his
2: soul. And, so I don't know. Sarah, As of right now, it'll stay the same.
1: And Sarah, where can we find your uh, goat uh, your your personal herd?
2: Oh, our personal herd is in Milton, Wisconsin. And, and
1: where what where can they find more information? Maybe on the Facebook or something.
2: Yes, we have a website. Um, I think it's just MoranDairyGoats.com. I don't know if it's up to date. So um, we have a Moran Dairy Goat page. Now listen carefully, people. Moran Dairy Goats is the business page. If you would like to hear about my father's yearling stories and the Taco Man and potentially some political views, you can follow Moran Adamson. That is my father's Facebook page. Not my mother's, but my father's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the yearly exploits are worth it
1: yes they are they are
0: <laughs> so you're easily
2: offended i'll adventure
0: with caution <laughs> <laughs> sarah again thank you so much for being our guest and cameron as always thanks for being a great co-host
1: yes this was this was a fun one here and uh, as always goat gabbers uh, pay to stay tuned. We'll have another episode in the following weeks. Uh, find us on the Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, anywhere. You pretty much get your podcasts and whatnot. And if you like us and want to recommend us to a friend or so feel free to do so, that would be great. And let's grow this thing.
0: All right. Have a great week, everybody.